0: Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you all. Thank you for being here this morning. Today we'll be reading from Psalm 121. So if you have your scripture, I would encourage you to uh, turn there. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. And as I've already said, today we have a guest speaker who has spoken here many times. Our guest speaker is Dwight Waldrop, who is the current chairman of the Elder Board. Dwight and his wife Barbara have been attending here since 2007, and Dwight has served, I don't know how many years on the elder board, he's yeah. lost count, uh, but it's good to have Dwight here this morning. Just kind of introduce him a little bit more to you, Dwight is uh, one of my closest friends, and I've been, he's been a closest friend of mine for 15 years. He is my soundboard, and he is a great partner in ministry. He is the faithful husband of Barbara for 39 years, and to all who really know Dwight, then you know that he is a man of integrity, faithfulness, passion, And I will just say, he is the example of a husband. He is the example of a husband. He loves his wife so well, and he is a great example to all the husbands in the room, and we should all aspire to be like him. Today, Dwight will be preaching on Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to read it together. I'm using the New American Standard 1995 edition. Psalm 121, verse 1 says this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. And he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. If you would please join me in a round of applause to welcome Dwight Walter to the stage this morning.
1: Thanks, Byron. Thank you very much. After an introduction like that, we can pray and go home, right? Oh, me. Psalms 121. What a psalm. I don't know if it... uh, the title of my message is Trust Me, and I'll get to that in a minute, because um, this is very special psalms to me. But trust is a thing. I mean, in this day and age and the things we're going through today and we've been through with with the big C and all the other things that go on, sometimes we have to say, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust CNN MSNBC? Do you trust CBS, ABC, Fox? Who do you trust? I certainly hope not. Do you trust the government? No comment. You know, who do you trust? And it's important in this time as believers that we understand who to trust and why to trust Him. Psalms 120 through Psalms 134, by some theologians, it's called the Songs of Ascent. When Jews once a year would come to Jerusalem for worship for the high sacrifice time, These Jews would come and they would ascend 15 steps leading to the court of Israel in the temple. Some theologians believe, starting in Psalms 120, because some of these are very short psalms, that as a a person would come, he would stand on the first step and he would sing Psalms 120. These are songs. And then as on the second step, 121, and so on and so on through the rest of them. These, are, these songs these psalms encompass so many different thoughts and processes. And in 121, we look at Israel, our keeper. Now when they would go to Jerusalem for these feasts, it was a great holiday. It was a great Some people would travel for miles to come and worship there at the temple. And they would come and they would bring their sacrifices and their family. And sometimes families would have reunions. It was a special time. But it also could be a turning point. A turning point in a believer's life, in a Jew's life. And we as believers can look at these psalms and see it was turning points in David's life. And many of these songs, psalms that we see. It was a time of change. Maybe it was changed for the good. They come, they offer their sacrifice, they feel they've done their part, they feel they're relieved of their sin, and they can move on. But as we see in the book of Hebrews, that sacrificial system was awaiting the perfect sacrifice, which was our Savior, Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, we go through pilgrimages and changes in our lives. And I'd like to share this psalm with you and what God has taught me through this psalm, and what He continues to teach me through this psalm, through a turning point in my life. As many of you know, I was in the U.S. Air Force for 20 years. I came in, I went to join the Air Force in 1977 and I retired in 97. And during that time, I had done many deployments and done many things. I was married. I met my wife in an Anchorage, Alaska, uh, at Anchorage Baptist Temple. My wife and I, I went up there on assignment to, uh, to Elmendorf Air Force Base. My wife was an RN, a registered nurse. She had went and got a job up there and moved up there. And we met in church there and eventually married. And then she joined the military life, something she had never been exposed to in her life. But in the summer of 1990, something happened. In the summer of 1990, Saddam Hussein decided that he was the current ruler of Iraq at that time. And he decided that Kuwait was really a juicy little apple he'd like to pluck because of the oil fields. And he invaded Kuwait. And the United States at that time decided they were going to protect that country, that it was, that they had to contain Saddam Hussein. And so they started sending forces into the theater. And on August the 9th, 1991, with only one day's notice, I was deployed to the Middle East. I left home. I left my wife by herself. It was the first time we'd ever been separated for a long amount of time. I left her to run the bus route. We were involved in a church. We had a large bus route. We, we were, picked up 60 or so kids every Sunday morning, brought them into church. I was a junior church leader. I taught junior church. And Barb was the enforcer. And so she had to do all this by herself. After a five-hour flight to Goose Bay Labrador, now you have to understand I was a C-130 crew chief at that time. And I was serving in quality assurance as an inspector. Now, C-130 is a high-wing, four-engine turboprop, cargo airplane. And it doesn't go anywhere fast. Alright, it's not like flying on a 737. We used to call it a big vibrator. Because you had four engines out there just to go in and you would sit in the airplane for many hours like that. But it took us about To get to the Middle East was quite a challenge. Five hours to Goose Bay, Labrador, nine hours from there to Mendenhall, England. From Mendenhall, England, it was nine hours to Cairo, Egypt. And from Cairo, Egypt, it was eight hours to an undisclosed location in the Middle East, in the Persian Gulf. And when I landed and got off the airplane, it was 110 degrees in the shade. I had a, I had a BDU, flak vest, helmet. I was carrying a uh, chem gear in one bag. I had a duffel bag with all my gear in the other. I get off the airplane. The sun is unbelievably hot. And the first thing they say to me is, if you want a place to sleep, you better build it. Excuse me, I'm in the Air Force. You know, we have services people that come and build tents for us. And they're like, nope, well, they're not here. You're here first. We were the third unit into the theater behind the F-15s, and we were there to resupply them. And so we get there, and the first thing I had to do was build a tent. And after all the stuff we went through, we got our tent built. We got everything set up and everything to go. It was almost two weeks before I got any contact with my wife. And when I finally did, I was standing in line at a satellite communication with a bunch of other guys, and I got about less than three minutes to talk to my wife over SATCOM to a guy who was running a... Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, he had his own uh, ham operator, and he would dial up the number so that we could talk to our family. So I'm standing in line with a bunch of guys, and I got my wife on the phone. I'm, hello, honey, Over. And she's like, oh, hello, honey, over. It's just like the movies, you had to say over. And so we get in there, and it was just long enough to say, hello, I made it safe, I'm okay. Oh, time's up, you're done. And I hear this voice on the other end, "Mm -hmm," and I'm like, what? And I hear this this faint voice, I'm like, what, i got to go. And then the ham operator jumps in and he says, she said she loves you. Now I'm standing there with a bunch of other guys, and they can hear what's going on. And I'm like, I love you too. Hopefully he relayed the message. But it was another few weeks before I finally got to the place uh, with all that was going on to where I could actually talk to my wife for more than three minutes. And I find out some things. I find out that she's sick. I find out that she wrecked our van. I find out the transmission went out in our van. I find out that she has to find help on the bus route because her health she's having health problems, and then that's all I hear for about four and a half or five minutes, and then the phone cuts off and I'm done. And I'm sitting there going, Oh good. I'm thousands of miles away from my family and living in a tent in the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden all of this has happened to my wife, and I feel pretty lousy about it. So I normally did my devotions. We were in a camp of about, at that time, only about four or five hundred people in the camp. And I was out there. I had to, to find a place to pray and do your devotions was really a struggle. So I found a little place, and I, it was kind of out on the edge of the camp behind some connexes, and, and I did my devotions in the evening. So any of you that's ever been a camping or been out to a place where there is no city lights, because our camp was in a blackout condition, you know the stars are absolutely amazing. And I'm sitting there for my devotions, and I would read my Bible and pray. And Psalms 121 was on my schedule for reading that night. And I'm sitting there looking at a blanket of stars from horizon to horizon. There's not a blank spot anywhere. It's all points of light. And I read Psalms 121. I read the psalm. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? And it was like in in my mind, God says to me, Dwight, you got to trust me. You have to trust me. And I'm scratching my head thinking, okay, now I have to practice what I preach. This is going to be interesting. Who am I really going to trust on this deployment? Who am I going to trust to take care of my wife when I'm not there to do it? Who am I going to trust to take care of me while I'm here so I can go back to her? I mean, don't we all ask those questions? Who do I trust? Do I trust the news outlets? Do I trust the government? Do I trust my bank account? Do I trust my 401K? What do I trust? Well, the obvious answer is we need to trust God. We need to trust God. But why? Why should I trust God? It was like when I was sitting there, God was saying to me, trust me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm in this mess, all right? And it's like God's just saying to my mind, you've got to trust me, Dwight. Do what I've told you to do. Go do, I'll take care of your wife. I'll take care, just do it. It's more like just do it and shut up, right? And I, we all come to that place in our lives where we're in a certain situation and we have to we have to trust God. We don't have a choice. And I wanted to share with you this morning in the time we have together, reasons why we should trust God. I think we see them in Psalm 21. There's many more reasons to trust God. But in my time in that day, this psalm was special because when I read it, I saw every reason I should trust God, among many others. And if you look as we go through the psalm, there's a word that pops up. It's called keep. He says in verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper. In verse 7, the Lord will protect you. That's the same Hebrew word as keep. Because that's what the word keep means. Keeper. I like the way it says there, the Lord is your keeper. Do we really need keepers? I mean, come on. I'm an adult. Do I really need a keeper? Children need keepers. That's right. And God looks at us as His children. You know, it says in Romans, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And I tell you what, sometimes we're a bunch of spoiled brats. And we need a keeper. Keeper. And that word kept going over. It kept resonating in my mind over and over again. He's my protector. He's my keeper. So as we fashion your seatbelts, we're going to go through this real quick, and we're going to look at some reasons why we should trust God. Now, there's many more throughout Scripture. And if you've ever read the Bible from cover to cover, you know there's a lot more reasons that are in this Psalms 121. But there's some here in that point in my life, and I think at the point in your life, You can look at this psalm and you can see a reason why you should trust God. First of all, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? When we're in any kind of need, anything we're going through, the first thing we have to remember is to look to God for the solution. Look to God for the help. We have to know where to look, because in this day and age, there's all kinds of distractions out there. You pick them, they're out there. It's the big C. Now it's monkeypox. I did see a thing that said it was like, what, four causes of monkeypox? They're called NBC, ABC, MSBC, and Fox. Anyway, there's all kinds of distractions. So we have to know where to look. One theologian put it this way, The temple in Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God on earth. The glory cloud of the Holy of Holies signified the Lord's presence among His people. The city of Jerusalem is situated on a mountain and is surrounded by mountains. And so a Jew in other parts of Israel needed to divine help. If he needed divine help, he looked toward the hills. To him, it was the same as looking to the Lord. Since the Creator's dwelling was in Jerusalem's hills, there was a poetic sense of all help comes from the hills. First, we have to know where to look. We have to be encouraged to look toward the Lord, as the psalmist said. Where am I going to look when I need help? And in verse 2, what does he say? He says, my help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, there's a good reason I look to God for help because He's in the heaven above me, the earth below me, He's all around me. Where else am I going to go? It's all encompassing. It uses the name the Lord here. If you'll notice in my translation, is in yours, it may be all uppercase. All capital letters, which signifies Yahweh or Jehovah, the self existent one, the creator of the universe is able to protect me. If there's one major reason to trust God, is because He created everything. He created you and me. He created the air we breathe. He created the planet we walk on. He created the universe and all those stars I looked at. And I said to myself, God created all of that. Wow. Let me say that backwards. Wow. We have to know if there's any good reason, know where to look, and you've got to know a good reason to trust God is because He created everything. He created your mind, He knows what you think, He knows your future, He knows where you're going. You've got to be able to create the, you've got to be able to trust the Creator. Then in verse 3 he says, He will not allow your foot to slip. He will not allow your foot to slip. God, a reason to believe, a reason to trust Him is because He will enable you to stand firm. The believer's foot will be preserved from being moved. Now, since the foot speaks of a foundation or a standing, it means that God will keep His trusting child from slipping and failing. He'll enable you to stand firm through whatever life comes your way, whatever is going on. The word there means not to be shaken or not to be moved or not to be overthrown. You know, life is dangerous and difficult. Life is not easy. But if there's any reason to trust God, it's because He's not going to let you slip. He's going to hold on to you. He's going to make sure that wherever you put your foot, it's a firm foundation. And if you're standing on Him, you definitely have, as the song says, a firm foundation one theologian put it this way, Among the hills and ravines of Palestine, the literal keeping of the feet is a great mercy. But in a slippery ways of a tired and affected life, the boom of upholding is a, uh, the uh, ability to stand firm is priceless of priceless value. For a single false step might cause you to fall and hurt yourself or fall into danger. Remember this. Psalms 37:23. the steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. He'll, you can trust him because he won't allow you to slip. He's got a hold of you. He'll hold on to you. The last part of verse 3 and verse 4 says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, I have to think about that for a minute. Well, I know he's God, so I definitely know he doesn't sleep. But that's a reason to trust him. He's always watching. He's always on guard. He's always your protector. The word slumber there means to be drowsy. You know what it's like, you know, sitting in front of a football game on Sunday afternoon. Mm, yep, yep, I snoozed through the whole last quarter. He doesn't do that. God doesn't sit up there and go, well, what's? Kind of, I'll just take a little snooze here because the wife's pretty boring at the moment. No, He doesn't do that. He doesn't sleep. He never gets tired. He doesn't get exhausted. He never closes His eyes. The Lord puts a garrison around us. We can sleep confident of the protection He provides because He is not sleeping. In Hebrews thirteen five, make sure your character is free from love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will men do to me? So you have to say, I can trust God because he doesn't sleep on the job. Verses five and six: The Lord is your keeper; the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, by by day, nor the moon by night. Now that one again, okay? He doesn't. He's going to take care of me. He's a shade on my right hand. You know there was not much shade when I was in the desert, not unless you made it. Of course, there were a few little scraggly trees here and there. Still. Well, he's trying to tell you, look, I'm your shield. I'm your defender. And there when he talks about day and night, he may be simply saying, you know, when you're in a heated environment, sunstroke is pretty easy to get if you don't hydrate. And I tell you there, it was really interesting where we were at in the desert because we, it was 110, sometimes 120 degrees during the day, and at night it would crash down into the 60s. Do you know what that feels like? It feels like you're freezing. It feels like oh great. During the day, I have to take my shirt off. At night, I better find a coat. Really, what he's trying to say there, I think, same thing. Well, you know, at night, the sun will not smite you by day or the moon by night. Well, you know where the word lunatic comes from, right? Luna, lunar. It was believed in that day by people that the moon had a really bad effect on people. Of course, after dark, there are people that get a little crazy. But anyway, that's where we get our term lunatic from. And really what I think he's trying to say there, night or day makes no difference. God's on guard, 7 by 24. It doesn't make any difference. He's not asleep. He's always awake. And even when you're sleeping, he's awake. And no matter what you're going through in your day, he's there. The shade on your right hand represents, represents protection. It's like you have a protection detail at your right hand. And that was the place of status where my protector is. So I can trust God simply because He's there 7 by 24. He knows what I'm going through. He knows everything that's happening. So I can trust Him even when it's a bad day. Or maybe a bad hair day. Anyway, I can trust Him. Verse 7, the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep you. Your soul. That's important. He's our protector against evil. You can trust Him because He sees evil coming a mile away. You don't know sometimes how many bad things God puts out of of your way or that you avoid because God is your protector. We don't know sometimes. You know, when Barb and I first got married... We were running a, we were, I was in, we were in Anchorage, Alaska at Anchorage Back to Simple, and, uh, I was running a bus route with another guy, <clears throat> and when Barbara and I were dating, and, um, uh, we, we had the low income or the very poor side of town in Anchorage. And I didn't know this being the, I mean, I'd just gotten right with the Lord. I was starting to get back into church and serving Him. And they said, here, go visit this bus route on Saturday. So on Saturday, i just get out there and go knocking on doors. Your kids are going to come ride the bus and come to church with us or whatever. And I didn't know that this was one of the neighborhoods where you didn't want to go by yourself. I didn't know that. Matter of fact, the bus route started growing. The guy left me all by myself to drive the bus since I'm dating Barb. I said, come on, you're dating. You need to come help me on the bus. You're my girlfriend. Come on, let's do this thing. So she would come help me on the bus and there was many a morning in this neighborhood. We'd come through there uh, and we would, we'd actually get the kids up. I'd drop my wife off. She'd go knock on the door and she'd, sometimes these kids, their parents would be drunk, passed out on the couch. And my wife would go in, get them dressed, put their shoes on, put them on the bus and take them with me. They can't do that today. They put you in jail for kidnapping. But back in that day. And I find out later, you don't want to go through this neighborhood by yourself. And I did it every Saturday. Was the Lord protecting me? Absolutely. There's no telling what was avoided. And there's no telling how many of those kids came to know the Lord. We just don't know. But He's the protector He's the protector of your soul. It's funny. People will trust God with their soul, but not with their bank account. But your soul is the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And when you give your life to Christ, your soul is in His hands and it is protected. John ten twenty seven My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I'll give them eternal life. And they'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Paul says in Romans eight thirty-eight: For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want to trust Him, a good reason is He's your protector. He keeps your soul. In verse 8, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The God, God, the reason you can trust Him is because no matter where you are, what you're doing, in your job, on your trip, whatever you're witnessing, whatever it is, God will keep you. God will protect you. He will guard you. Again, that word guard is the same word as keep or keeper or protector. That's what it means to protect, to guard, to build a hedge. That's what God will do. You're worried about going out and witnessing to somebody. You're worried about doing certain things. God's got it. It doesn't mean you won't run into trouble. It just means He's right there with you when you do it. You don't know how many times. On Saturdays, I would knock doors on that bus route and how many times we'd go out there dressed like this in Fayetteville, North Carolina in the middle of June. It's 95 degrees. Of course, I wore a tie too. Don't even talk to me about that. And we'd go out and visit these kids and do these things because God was our guard. He was there no matter what we were doing, no matter where you go. Even a guy who's stuck in the desert. God is there. To protect you. If there's ever a reason, no matter where you go, if you've got a trip to go on or if you've got a vacation or if you just simply are going to go down to the rescue mission and teach, whatever you do, wherever you go, God is there and He's got His hand upon you. That's a good reason to believe Him, to trust Him. Let's think about that for a minute. How does that apply to me individually and how does it apply to us as a corporately as a body of believers? We have to trust God for our help, not ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Scripture says. I have to trust God. Trust God. He enables you to stand through all trials and temptations. No matter what you're going through, God will protect you. He'll give you the strength to stand. Now, when I say He protects you, I'm not saying He doesn't prevent you from going through hard times and tough stuff. I'm simply saying that He's right there with you when you go through it. And somebody said to me one time, well, are you going to trust God even if He lets you die? I said, yeah, because it's a win-win. A win-win. It's a win-win. Because I get to go home and be with the Lord. I get to be in heaven. And I don't got to worry about this life anymore. That's a win-win. We have to remember to trust Him. He'll enable us to stand in all trials and temptations. We have to trust Him to be on watch and to never leave us alone. We have to trust Him to shield us from the evil deceptions of the devil. We can see through things. You ever say to yourself, why do people believe this thing or that thing? Why Don't they see this is a lie? Don't they see the truth? No, they don't. Because they're blind. Without God, you believe the lie. And you can trust God to reveal the lie. And let you see what's really going on. You have to trust God to protect you no matter where you go or where you're at. You have to trust God to be, trust God to be on guard of your soul. There's no way the devil's going to get it. Because you have eternal life through Him, through Jesus Christ. Corporately, how does that apply to us as a body of believers? Well, remember, a church, the church is us. And we is the church. Each one of us. So if all of us in this church at Calvary are trusting God, then people see that Calvary trusts God. When people see us individually doing that, then corporately we are seen as a trusting church. People see the individuals trusting God for provision, trusting God during tough times, trusting God to get this work done, trusting God to save souls, trusting God for the music, trusting God for whatever, trusting God that the roof don't leak. Or that it does lead either way, people see that in us, they see the church that way. they see the body of Jesus Christ that way. They see our love. why do you love? why do you care about your neighbor because I trust God? That's why I trust him with my eternal soul. So now how do I do that? It's great, right? You can see I'm in the desert, I'm, all these things are going on and I read this Psalm and I can say, man, now every reason, there's eight, there's seven or eight reasons there to trust God and many more throughout scripture. But how do I do that? I'm going to give you four simple ways to do it that you've heard many, many times. The first one is stay in the Word. You gotta stay in the Word. You gotta stay in the Word. By the way, you gotta stay in the Word. There's been times in my life where I decided I had more important things to do than read this. And I regretted it. Because you want to trust God and keep Him at the forefront, you've got to stay in the Word, Old and New Testament. Because you see God working so great in the Old Testament as much as you see Him working through Christ in the New Testament. The second thing is, you've got to stay in prayer. You just absolutely have to stay in prayer. That's another one that's been hard for me, especially with my wife, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But staying in prayer, I've got to stay there. We have got to be able, we need to be a praying church. In our small groups, in our grow groups, in our Sunday, wherever we're at, we have to pray. And not just the obligatory, I can get that way. My wife gets on me about it. I pray for, say grace for the meal, you say the same thing every time. Or when I'm, you know, before I get to teach Sunday school or preach, my wife's like, you know, you say the same prayer over and over again. I'm a man, okay? That's the way men are, right? But you have to stay in prayer. And I mean, you really have to be able to, there's got to be times in your life, and I've learned this, is that sometimes when you get down to pray and you say what you need to say, whether you do it by road or however you do it, sometimes you've got to sit and you got to listen. You have to listen. Now, there's a problem with that. I call it sleep. But you have to listen. You say you trust God, and there's plenty of reasons to do that. And if you want to apply it, stay in the Word, stay in prayer. Listen. The next one is stay in the fellowship. You have to stay in the fellowship. There are no lone ranger Christians. I don't care what people say. I've heard it before. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I know Christ is my Savior. I I got the Bible. I'm good to go. That's not how it works. Even our Savior craved the fellowship of His apostles. John being one of the closest friends. Matter of fact, Lazarus, what did they say? The person that Jesus loved. He had close friends. It's a picture for us. We have to stay in the fellowship. We have to have those small groups, those grow groups, the, the tight groups, the accountability partners, the friends that were really... But we have to stay in the greater fellowship. You ever notice as was brought to my attention by somebody. How much louder we sing when we do it a cappella? Huh? It's amazing to me. Now, I don't have an answer for that. But we do that corporately. You stay in the fellowship. You sing together. There's nothing... I mean, me, you know, I do announcements. I get up here. I'm the announcement guy. You know, I look out on the congregation. There's, and I'm like, where did everybody go? And then we get done singing. I, look, I turn around and now the place is full. Especially the balcony. And I'm like, where did everybody come from? And all of a sudden I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, it's getting a little loud in here. You have to stay in the fellowship because that's the support system God's given us. If you want to trust God, you stay in the fellowship because you'll meet other people. And they'll say to you, you know, God did this thing in my life and it did that thing and it was amazing. And then you'll meet other people that are like, you know, this really is, this is just crappy. Now you become the person that says, Well, you know what? Let me pray with you. Let's take let's go over here on the back side of the pew back here and let's pray. You need to stay in the fellowship. Because that's what God uses to build you up and trust God. And the last thing, if you want to know how, is not only staying in the Word and praying and staying in the fellowship, you need to open your eyes and see what God is doing. Open your eyes And see what God is doing. This is the way we go through life a lot of times. My problems. My things. My stuff. My problems. My things. My stuff. I don't see that in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is, hmm, isn't there something in there about treating other people the way I want to be treated? Isn't there something else about praying for people? Hmm, there's something like that in there. We have to open our eyes, expand our view, get off of ourselves and get on to God. You want to trust Him? Start looking at the way He's taking care of you. The way He's protecting you. Open your eyes and look around. And then you would not believe the encouragement that you get because you see other people and God working in their lives. You know, I go to our elder meetings sometimes and, and I sit and talk to our men and, and sometimes I'm just so encouraged. I'm like, it's amazing what God is doing in people's lives. But let me tell you the rest of the story as I close my message. I told you what happened when I got there. I told you how God used Psalm 21 to encourage me. And all of a sudden he kept me while I was in the desert. He provided a godly chaplain and I wasn't much on the chapel. When I was in the military. But he brought a godly chaplain. Who I became very close friends with. During my time, my nine or so months in the desert. And he was a great mentor to me. Taught me many things while I was there. He provided other Christian brothers and sisters. I was doing KP early on. <laughs> we had to do KP. Oh boy. You never lived. You have to wash enough dishes that you can't see the end of it. But anyway. So I'm with this guy, and he's a security policeman, and we're doing KP together, and I find out he's a fellow believer. And and so all of a sudden, the fellowship was amazing. It made the work a lot easier. He provided ways um, through the chapel. He provided other ways. We had Bible studies. Our chapel there in our camp where we were at, eventually I think we grew to about 700 or so, but our chapel was known throughout the theater. Our our chapel services started as 15, I mean, you get one song and a 15, 10-minute sermonette. And by the time that we left the desert, those services lasted over an hour. We had a choir, and and our chaplain was giving invitations. We had a lady who was from a black gospel church, and she was our choir director. We had somebody, any service member, send us a free Yamaha keyboard. And buddy, you don't know that that choir didn't rock. Let me tell you what. We had some really good chapel services. And we had a chaplain who wasn't afraid to preach the word. And we saw people saved while we were in the desert. It was amazing. And he also provided a way for me to go home. I was selected as the first group to return after about nine, around March, sometime in March of the next year. Uh, I was. Chosen to be part of the first wave of redeployment. And while this was going on, God provided help for my wife. Our next door neighbor actually fixed uh, the, you know, we had a used van. And I, I'm you always don't buy warranties, right? You don't buy warranties on used cars. Well, I was a little bit of an out there and I bought the warranty. Well, you know what? It paid for the transmission. And the the front end, all the, the damage to the truck. My next door neighbor, who hadn't deployed yet, fixed all that for Barbara. She brought her help on the bus route. We had a 17 year old young man who had been on the bus route with us since he was 15. He stepped up, stepped right into my shoes, and did everything for Barbara. In the bus route, we had neighbors that came and helped my wife. And then, of course, God sent me home early. Let me tell you this real quick, as I get ready to close. We staged in from Desert Storm. We staged back in through uh, up in uh, uh, New England somewhere. I can't remember now where it was at. And they said, "Okay, you're going." To... We wanted to fly in. We had these big C-130s, right? And you see, you see. I think we had. I don't remember how many we had now. Thirty or some of them. <laughs> you see, ten or fifteen of them flying at one time. It's a pretty big deal. And uh, so they're like, no, no, can't do that because of all the wives and families, you're going to have to come in every hour. Okay, that's fine. We'll come. I just want to go home, okay? I've been away from my wife for nine months. I want to go home. Yes, I want to go home. So they stayed and so, said, well, my boss, unbeknownst to me, he tells my wife, well, Dwight's coming in at this time. Well, I was on an hour earlier. So I landed, got off the airplane, no wife. I go to my boss, and I'm like, my boss was there, uh, my, uh, senior NCO, and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Dwight, I told your wife this time, which is an hour later. So I'm standing in this big hangar, and there's all these families, and everything's going on, and I'm kind of like, and then the time, I'm watching my watch, right? So the time rolls around, and another airplane lands during the time that he told, uh, my wife that I was gonna be there. So Barb comes into the hangar, you're talking about, there's an old song, Tire of Yellow Ribbon, around the old oak tree. My wife is wearing a bright yellow sundress and she comes into the hangar and walks right by me. <laughs> and I hollered at her, Barb! And she turned around and saw me standing there. I'm like... And the next thing I know, I'm like, "Ah!" and she's got a hold of me so tight I couldn't breathe. God provided. God took care of her and me during that whole time. 32 years later, I can't believe it's been 32 years, man. It was like yesterday. 32 years later, every time I read this song, coming to prepare the message, God says, trust me. My wife has many health issues. She's confined to a wheelchair. Sometimes it's a daily struggle. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. And every time I read that song, he says, "Do I trust me? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me because I'm your keeper. I'm the great God of the universe, Yahweh, who created everything. Trust me. I won't let you slip. I don't sleep. I'm your shield. I'm the protector of your soul. I'm your guard. Trust me. So my question in closing to you, do you trust God? Do you know Him today so that you can trust Him? Does He know you? If He doesn't, come to Him today because you can trust Him. Romans says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God demonstrates His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we know the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Scripture is simple in Romans 10. If you confess your, with your mouth of Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he makes confession, resulting in salvation. And in 1 John he says this, God's given us eternal life and that life is in His Son. And he who has the Son has life. And he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And you today can know that you have eternal life through the God you can trust with your very soul. Let us pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for bringing this psalm to me in the desert. I thank You for bringing this psalm to me this very day. I thank You for Your Word, Father, as You have so demonstrated. As much as it applied to the Jew in that day, walking up to Your temple, as it applies to us today, that we can trust You. And Father, help us as we go about our week. To trust You. To know that You're our keeper. You're our guard. You are our very protector. And if there's anybody out there, Father, who doesn't know You and doesn't trust You, I pray today, sometime, they would take that moment and they would open their heart to You. Confess their sins and believe in their heart that You have raised Your Son from the dead that you lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us, and that they might trust you with their eternal soul. Father, I pray your grace and guidance today in Jesus'
0: name.